0: Let's get into God's Word because we were there. It's been Acts. Uh, we started a long time ago, actually, we started to. We're doing a chapter a week, and, and I know that you can get book fatigue, so we've mercifully broken up the books of Acts uh, into some things. We had uh, part one, which we started a few months ago, was uh, about the new kingdom come, and it's about the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of Acts is. In the second half of the Gospel of Luke, after Jesus raises from the dead, he gives us the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom of God begins to build. And The memory verse we had there was from Jesus. Uh, he uh, he told the church, he says, that, uh, that we would wait for the Holy Spirit. We receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon us, and then we'd be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the first nine chapters, we see how God, Jesus, fulfilled that prophecy uh, through the church in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the area immediately surrounding uh, Jerusalem, right? So the, the gospel expanded even to the Samaritans, which was a pretty huge thing, which was awesome. Now we get into uh, the second portion of that, We're it the March of the Kingdom, right? Not only because it's March, and I thought that was clever, but also because it talks about how the kingdom of God now expands into Gentile territory, to the ends of the earth. And this is really huge. And so last week, we saw how it began. In chapter 10, we saw this guy named Cornelius, who wasn't just a a Gentile, he was a soldier. He wasn't just a soldier, he was a commander of soldiers, the least likely of persons that a Jewish guy would think, a Jewish people would think, would become the first really Gentile converts. But lo and behold, he was. And we saw God open the kingdom wide to the Gentiles. In that, and today we see how not the kingdom just expands wider, but how it also the kingdom of God unites. And, and I think it's a, it's a message for us today. Um, we uh, we are a very divided people, aren't we? You know, it's like politics and the world has just gotten like really divided. Like everything seems divisive right? There's this thing actually now is called uh, identity politics. You hear about that, that we're supposed, that we accept people or reject them based upon superficial things, based upon like their heritage, that people like them may have hurt people that look like me in the past, uh, maybe so we shouldn't like each other, or I need to identify by my gender, or by my race, or by my uh, heritage, or something like that. Uh, So we find our culture really dividing, really, really dividing, and I think a lot of us have felt that. The kingdom work like that, and actually how God's kingdom is actually the antidote to this type of divisiveness, this type of destruction that is really just wreaking havoc in our homes, and our culture, and our, our country. So before we do that, however, uh, we want to get to our, bio, our memory verse for this series. It's a, it's a verse that I hope... Eventually, you all are familiar with, we memorize it every year. It is called the Great Commission. That's Jesus this is what he told us to do. Uh, he told in Acts 1.8 was the Acts Great Commission. He says, you'll be, receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, we see that Jesus gives a strategy to how to do that. And this is our commission. And it says this, it says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That is life. Right? Have you ever wondered why when you became a Christian, God didn't just zap you up to heaven? Right? Didn't just take you off this broken rock? This is Why? The kingdom of God is you and the kingdom of God grows through you. Right? We have been authorized by God himself. There are no boundaries that can that can, stack, that can stack against us. There's no one who can say you are not authorized to share the gospel here. I'm sorry, God himself told me I could. And he said he's with me. And God is at work in us and through us and he's doing something powerful. Take that verse. It's not just dead words on a page. These are our marching orders from God. This is a promise from God. This is a promise of not only what we're going to do, but the success that we're going to have in it because he's in it. So take that living word and let's begin to apply it. How do we do that? Well, let's talk about that kingdom. How did it go to the ends of the earth? When it says all nations, the the Greek word there was all different kinds of people. ethnos, All different kinds of people. Talk about why that's such an important, why that's a big deal. To do that, let's get into our Bibles. Let's turn to Acts chapter eleven. It's going to be on page seven sixty seven. If you have one of our Bibles, if you got your Bible today, don't worry about it. We got lots. We're a church. They're right back there, on the welcome, walk- on the sound booth area. If you need a Bible, keep it, please. Our gift to you. So we're there. Acts chapter ten. Remember, we, we just got off of Cornelius. We just read about him in chapter ten. That here was this Gentile hypnotizes him without making him first a Jewish guy right and not just Cornelius but all the people all the other soldiers and those that were in his household that they came to faith these Gentiles were accepted as they were into the kingdom of God and what happens is is this was a a a, a very controversial thing that took place I mean how God had seemed to work all the sudden turn and so uh, we have that, that that you look through this this chapter we begin with there's a potential for great conflict don't we I mean, there's an t- opportunity for in the church when God worked in a way that, that the, the early church didn't expect him to work, they are on a crossroads. They ever say, God, you're going to work the way that I say that you work, or they're going to accept how God said he was going to work. They could either build their own kingdom or they could build God's kingdom. And if they chose to build their own kingdom, it would be divided. And so this is a real important chapter. It starts out, of course, the Jerusalem church, they're concerned. And they have a right to be concerned. So they question Peter and they say, how is it to give you the right to be able to include these Gentiles in the church? And Peter answers them and they're satisfied. And they say, absolutely, okay. And so the church begins to unify. But then it demonstrates that unity to three different things. The first one is that you see that the church in Antioch, the, the, the Gentile church, right? they were obviously believers, the Holy Spirit was amongst them, but they're Gentiles. They didn't have the history. They had no idea what even Messiah was supposed to mean. Their concept of God was, was based upon pagan ideology and, and this pantheon that the Romans had, had come up with and all that kind of stuff. And so they were, they were theologically accepted, but, but I think fragile. And so the church in Jerusalem sends them up some help. And then later on in the chapter, we find that in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians, they find themselves in financial trouble. There's a, there's a big drought. There's all kinds of, of persecution and the Jewish Christians turn out that they're, they're suffering. And the Gentile Christians send them some aid. And we find unity in the church demonstrated through two acts of important love. And that's kind of how the chapter goes. Let's get into it. Let's focus in on onto this chapter. We're going to start by really, I think this chapter tells us not only that God's kingdom is united, but it tells us why God's kingdom is united. And this is important because this is still God's kingdom that we're part of. Why is God's kingdom united? And the first thing is it's united is because covenants matter. That's why the kingdom is united. In verse 1 through 3, you're going to see that the people, the Jewish Christians, were coming out of an old covenant, right? And so they've got some questions because they didn't fully understand the new covenant yet. And we read that in verses 1 through 3. It says, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea, that's where the Jewish people lived, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem... Uh, the circumcised believers criticized him and they said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them, right? Now, they weren't being mean. It wasn't that they were just being racist, right? They were concerned because Peter was doing something. Even the great Peter was not above the word of God. And they were concerned because he was... The covenants are important things. We have covenants today. Covenants really are, uh, and God covenants with people. Covenants, basically agreement. And you have two parties, oftentimes, in a covenant that say, one party says, I'm going to do this, the other party says, and I will do that. And we agree, right? And So think about You have a, a covenant probably with your cell phone carrier, don't you? It's an important covenant, right? You say, you sign a contract, you say, I will pay you this much every month, and you will give me this much data. And I promise that I won't go over these other texts or this much data, or I'm not going to call these, right? You, you have law. Right, And it's law. It's literally law. It's written down, and there are things you can do and cannot do. And if you follow the law and you're good within it, then you can continue to stay in the contract, and they'll continue to have the benefits of that covenant. Right On the other side, your cell phone carrier has got to do the things. If you fulfill your portion, they fulfill theirs, don't they? They provide you service, and that's what they tell you they're supposed to do, right? That's, <laughs> right? So you have this covenant. Well, think thing about covenants is a couple. One is that covenants are between parties. Like I have a cell phone contract with AT&T. You are not part of that contract. You cannot violate my contract, right? It's between me and AT&T and us alone, right? So if I, for some reason, decide not to pay my bill on time, you don't get the late charge. Does that make sense? If AT&T chooses not to fulfill their end of it, that's between me and them. They're not, they're not wronging you. See, my covenant is between me and them, and when my covenant is fulfilled, my contract is fulfilled, which it will be in November. Well, then I can either choose to terminate the covenant and make a covenant with somebody else. I might go with Sprint, I might go with Verizon, I might go back to AT and I I don't know, but that will be my decision. Right? Once it's ended, then AT and T can't come back to me after the covenant's fulfilled, after I fulfill my contract. They can't come back and say, "You need to abide by our old terms." I'm like, those old terms are now completed, right? Well, there was a covenant that God made with the people of Israel at the time of Moses. He made a covenant with them, and it's in here. It's the Old Testament, not the entire Old Testament. There's several covenants in there. But we have a covenant that God made, the one that we normally think of, is the one he made with the people of Israel at the time of Moses. He made a covenant with God's people, the children, the descendants of Abraham, a a racial group. And he did this covenant, and he said there are certain terms that you're going to live by. You want to be my people. There are certain things that you're going to do, and if you do these things as my people, you live up to this covenant. There are certain benefits that they get. There are certain services that God provided. Right? Israel fulfilled that covenant. They they live within it, and there was something that God was going to do part of that covenant. And the covenant was really all about bringing about the Messiah. See, the covenant, the old covenant, was one of, it was one of holiness, wasn't it? Separation for preparation. That's the purpose of the old covenant. God didn't love the Jewish people more; he, he benefited them, and they had some actually some amazing benefits. But he didn't love them more. But he was preparing the world for the Messiah through them, right? And so, so part of that covenant was all about God was setting up the world to do something, but then he fulfilled the covenant in Jesus. When Jesus came, all of the law, like which was all about, was the, uh, God taking the, hey, listen, I want you to be different than the Gentiles, live differently, act differently, don't eat bacon, because that definitely separates you from Gentiles, doesn't it? I mean, just that, but the clothes you wear, how you dress, all those kinds of things were all part of this relationship to keep the people of God separate, so when the Messiah showed up, it would be unmistakable who he was, and God brought the Messiah, now, in that, because it's a covenant with God, God revealed a lot of things about who He truly is, about real morals, not what we think is right and wrong, but what God says is right and wrong. So, there's a lot of good morals and good things that are in that old covenant that God revealed to the world. But the covenant that God made in the Old Testament was between Him and the Israelite people, right? The Jewish people, a racial group. And because of that, the Jewish people, they looked at, they had a test of fellowship, right? They had a test of saying, are you a covenant in the covenant or not? Are you in the tribe? And this was a test. One was racial. Are you Jewish? Are you a child of Abraham? Because if you're not a child of Abraham, this covenant does not apply to you. Right? That's why the Jewish people weren't always about going around and saying, you know, you have to be kosher. No, they said, we have to be kosher. This was our covenant. Who us and God? Right? And so the first test was a racial one. The second one had to do with obedience. It was purity. Were you obeying the terms of the covenant? So if you were Jewish by birth, but you rejected, you weren't living with God, you were, you were doing things your own way, you were eating non-kosher foods, you were dressing your way, you were not living like you were holy, you were in violation of the term, of the purpose of the covenant, weren't you? And so they used those two things, are you obedient, you're part of the covenant, are you, are you, so are you a, a practicing Jew? And if you were, they would say, all right, then we accept you, That you're part of this covenant, and if you didn't, then you're rejected. Separation for preparation, that's what they lived for, for over a thousand years, which is a really important thing. And there was a reason for that God doing that. They were separate, and so when we got to see how God was going to use a sacrificial atonement, how you could have uh, the whole purpose of the, and God was preparing the world, but we realized that the blood of bulls and goats can't take away human sin. That, that purpose of that was to teach us, prepare us for the Messiah who would actually take away the sins of the world. When the Lamb of God showed up, when Jesus actually showed up and took away the sins of the world, you didn't need the system anymore. There was no more need for for bulls and goats to be sacrificed. You didn't need the priesthood anymore. There was no need to have the holy of holies behind a curtain because an unholy people who were still had sin on them had to be separated from a holy God. Now people's sins had been paid for, and you didn't have that the separation. The whole purpose of the covenant wasn't undone; it was fulfilled, fulfilled. But the thing is that the Jewish people, who, who, the Christians who received the Messiah. Their entire way of life for generations had been about the separation. And the covenant that they were looking to is they said, listen, when, when Jesus said you're going to make disciples of all nations, I imagine in their mind very realistically was, yes, in the way that the Jewish people could bring salvation to Gentiles in the past, in the old covenant, because God was still a merciful God. If you were a Gentile in the old covenant, in order to be part of the new covenant, You had to be part of the people that God made the covenant with. That was the Abraham's children. So you had to become one of Abraham's children. How? Basically through adoption. You had to die to your gentileness, right? If you were a man, you'd be circumcised, show that you have the sign of the covenant. You would go through the process of of really becoming an acolyte. You'd go through, you'd be baptized in a way of saying death to your old life, being brought into this new, and then you would basically live as a Jewish person and you would be accepted as a Jewish person. As a Jewish person, that would then be part of the covenant. And that's, I imagine, that the Jewish Christians expected the kingdom of God to work like. That God was going to add more people into the old covenant. The problem was, is the old covenant was fulfilled. The Messiah already had come. There was a new covenant. It wasn't about separation. And it's not about preparation. It's about grace. It's about God's kingdom now growing and building. And this is why, I think, we find the Jewish believers were skeptical. And so Peter then gets to answer them. And I think the next thing is recognize that we are part of a different, we are part of a a whole different covenant. God has written a new way out. That's why Jesus said, I new covenant I'm making with you, a covenant of his blood, right? When we take communion, we testify that that covenant is now in force and that we are part of that covenant. We are part of that covenant people, it's important for us to make sure that that covenant is actually real. This is God's plan because we don't have the right just to make any, any commitment with God that we want to, right? If gay okay, with it, that this covenant came from God and he's got to validate it, verify it. And I think the Jewish church deserved to have that. And so did Peter. And so Peter realized that the covenant himself, it was verified. It was validated by God himself. And there are three different points to the validation that we read in this chapter that Peter receives, and that he tells the, the church in Jerusalem to, to, to demonstrate and to prove that this new covenant actually is from God, and that Gentiles can be included. And the first one is that he recognized that he gave this a personal experience, that Peter actually had testimony. Like, this wasn't just some philosophy that was out there this was something that he experienced that God was now validating verifying this this new covenant we read about that in verses 4 through 11 And, and he basically he goes in and he says starting from the beginning Peter told them the whole story right he says this is what God did and he tells them the story of his life how God gave them the vision Right, Peter tells him about the vision, about the blanket coming down and all the different kinds of foods, and he could eat any of them. God's saying, don't call something clean or unclean that I've called clean. And he tells him about how he goes up to Cornelius, that Cornelius was prepared for him, and that God sent an angel to Cornelius at first, getting him ready to hear the gospel. When Peter shows up, he shares the gospel. And when they believe, they receive the Holy Spirit. And how when they saw, they received the Holy Spirit, just like the Jewish church did at Pentecost. Peter was like, I've seen it, I've experienced it. God was there, this is a work from him. So that's the first thing he points. Second thing is that he was led by the Spirit. He said, it wasn't just my experience, but I was in this with God. God was in this with me. Verse 12, he says this. It says uh, He says, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. Right, when he says, I'm going to go meet with Cornelius, the Spirit of God told him that God's Spirit was with Cornelius. God was not joking when he said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, that God's Spirit actually was there and was actually helping and guiding and directing, that this is a work of God, not of Peter. It's important. The third thing that he points to is that is actually in the Word of God. This is consistent that God told us that this is the way that it was going to work through the prophets. And so Peter, actually, he references uh, John the Baptist, verse 16. And he says there, he says, Then I remembered, Peter's thinking about after the Holy Spirit led him, he says, Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John the baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gifts he gave to us when they believed in the Lord Jesus, Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? So the threefold verification: first was witness; second, was God's working of the Holy Spirit; the third was was the scripture and saying, "This is now true." And guess what? When the early church, when they heard this, they they could have said, "Listen, Peter, we don't like Gentiles," and two of those three are very subjective right? And, and this is not how we expected God to do. No, we're going to do the church our own way. And if we would have done that, then chances are we wouldn't be sitting here today. But instead, we find out this threefold witness was exactly what the church needed to hear. And it says in verse 11, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Isn't it important that God didn't just give us one? So, I feel that we should include the Gentiles. I feel led by the Holy Spirit that He brought the Gentiles. I read in the text that God must bring in the Gentiles and therefore they must be accepted. My interpretation of the text is always perfect, you know. No. All three. Threefold witness in the church says yes, and they unify. It's powerful. So, what we have to say is that this threefold witness is, is very, very um, convincing, isn't it? It changed the course of history and eternity for many. In fact, what it did is it healed a wound that had grown between the people of God and the people not of God. And it said, listen, everybody needs to be saved. And now there's a way. And you don't have to become Jewish to be saved. But you do have to follow the Messiah. So there's a different test. All right. We also recognize that the kingdom of God, we recognize the kingdom has this new covenant, it unites. There's a new covenant. This new covenant is validated, verified by God that there is a new covenant. Jesus talked about it quite a bit. He died on the cross right before he died. He said, this is a new covenant, covenant in my blood, right? A whole new way, right? And then we recognize that this new covenant does some different things. What well, the first covenant was all about preparation. We had separation, so that way we would keep the people holy, to so prepare the world for the Messiah. Now the Messiah has come, the new covenant. One of the things this new covenant does, its purpose is it unites It unites us. And one of the ways it unites, we see in Scripture, is with acceptance. It begins with acceptance. Just the, the fact of saying, yes, you can be in the kingdom along with me. We can be in there together. And so we see that uh, verse... 18 that we or um, we just read up there it says that we see that God opened the kingdom of the Gentiles also you understand how huge of a change that was that that the that this new covenant is based upon grace not change it doesn't mean that God did away with the Israelites but said this covenant to be part of this that now God has opened the kingdom the door even wider. He's including something, and the difference is there's still a test of faith. But the faith is tested by this, is grace. In fact, uh, Paul, later on, writes about this to another church in Galatia who was struggling with this very same thing. And he says this to them, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, this verse has been misused in time to say that that God is just obliterating all the kind of differentiation. Like he's saying that there's no such thing as male or female. That's silly. Or there's no such thing as Jew or Gentile. That's silly. God made the Jews, right? He's the one who who made a covenant with them. And there are still parts of that covenant that that are in play today. There are some things that God made, a covenant with the Israelites. He said, it's going to be everlasting. That didn't go away. And There is benefit that they have. God made Jews and Gentiles. We said, listen, in his kingdom now, that's not where the differentiation is going to be. How about this? Male or female, did God say there's no such thing or man or woman? No. God came up with the idea of man and woman. In Genesis 2, it said he made them male and female. Gender is God's idea. He created it. God didn't just say, I did away with gender. No. There is man and there's woman. Right? But he's saying in his kingdom, your admittance isn't going to be based on that. Right? He said, there's no other slave or free. Well, we have this great book called Philemon in the Bible. It actually talks about being a slave or free in this world. That we can be in different socioeconomic places. And guess what? We can all still be part of the kingdom. That it's not based upon where you are, what group of people that you grew up with, or anything like that. That's not what it's about. That's what this says. is that God is not saying these things don't exist. He's saying that those things are no longer tests. They no longer need to separate us. In fact, they ought not separate us. We must not let them separate us. That's huge. Why? Because the test is something different. It's not on the superficial things that, that the identity politics of the ages have always tested on the superficial. What is your skin color? What, is, what gender are you? Where have you grown up? What do you think like? What are the people like you? You know, do they root for the Broncos or not? Are they accepted in the kingdom, right? We don't do that anymore. It's not by those things that God's kingdom, that's the test of faith. It is something called grace, that we are saved by God's grace through faith. Through faith is accepted. And who are we to reject those whom God has accepted? So for Christians, just like the Jews would look out and they would say, should we accept the Gentiles, they're not the right race. Christians, we do have a test. Who would say, have you received grace? That's, That's where God's kingdom begins. That everyone, the gospel is for everyone. And the kingdom of God is for anyone who will receive it. And so by grace, none of us earn it. But we all have to be in Christ, don't we? You can't just believe you're good enough or do things your own way or believe in, in some other foreign God or some other, a, other type of theology or doctrine that says that you, that you can believe anybody and be saved. That's not what it says, that we're saved by grace. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. In Christ Jesus is where we find our unity. In Christ Jesus is where unity is found. That's where it allows us to, leak, to look through past the superficial and into the soul and to say, this is what God has brought together so we can be unified. Notice it says, you are all children of God through faith. Not by doing all this perfectly, but by expressing, by actually having faith. And in Scripture it says, if you have faith and it's not expressed, it's not really faith. It's like if I really believed my pants were on fire, I really believed that, I would take them off, wouldn't I? Or roll the ground on the ground, my dad would be happy, stop, drop, and roll, right? I would do something if I really believed that was the case. And God said, your faith needs to be expressed in your life. And so he gives us in scripture ways that God says, I want you to, to express your faith. First one's belief. Belief doesn't save you. God saves you, but your faith has got to be expressed in belief. Belief is trusting God, even if you have doubts. And we all have doubts. None of us got all figured out, but we're going to trust God. Faith. Hey, we have to have that faith expressed in belief. How about, how about confession? My faith is expressed by me saying, I identify with Jesus. I'm clothed in him, right? That I am a Christian. I'm identified by who he is. That's by faith, by, by recognizing God is real. He really is my savior. That's an expression of my faith, not magic words. Or how about this? It's through an expression of repentance. Repentance means I'm going I'm to follow God's way, not mine. He knows what's right. His moral compass is straight up good. Mine's messed up bad. So I'm going to agree with his. Doesn't mean repentance is I walk perfectly. It means at least I have the right compass. Right? Repentance is an expression of faith. I have to believe that God exists to know what is morally good so I can follow him, so I can learn to obey everything he's commanded. Right? That's an expression of faith. Listen, obedience, repentance without faith doesn't save you. You can say the Bible is a wise way to live. Right? You could be perfect in your repentance. But if it's not an expression of faith, it is dead. Because we are not saved by God's grace through repentance. Or how about this? You can say the magic words, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but if you don't believe it, if there's no faith in that, those words do not save you. They're empty and hollow. It's got to be expression of faith, doesn't it? Right? How about, you know, belief itself doesn't save anybody. You can sincerely believe that you'll be saved, but if if your belief is not an expression of faith in Jesus to save you, Your sincerity is is not very helpful. These are all expressions of of faith, aren't they? Well, so is baptism. Baptism is an expression of faith as well. He says, listen, go and baptize them. It's, it's, It's an expression of faith. Granted, the other ones are ongoing. You never are supposed to stop believing. You're never supposed to stop repenting. You're never supposed to stop confessing. Say, oh, I identified with Jesus yesterday. I'm done with that. Like those even in the Greek, they're ongoing, they continue to go. They're on, but, but baptism, luckily God gave us one, so we're like, okay, I had that. So when the, whole, when the devil comes to you and says, do you really believe? You're like, yeah, I was wet in front of people. I will never forget that. Expression of faith, though. Baptism without expression of faith, it's just a weird bath, isn't it? But as an expression of faith, as an identifying with Jesus that I'm dying to my old way of life and coming alive with Christ. That I'm I'm just like the Jews who died of being a Gentile and and now they're Jewish. We die from our dead way of sin and come alive in Christ. We're identifying with him. we're We're following him. We're trusting him. It's an expression of faith. Very, very powerful. How about this? Being discipled. It's an expression of faith, isn't it? not just believing and being converted, but to say, God, I believe that you are actually real and I want to learn how to become more like you. I want to learn how to obey you in all things. Isn't that an expression of faith? You can become very, very churchy and if you are just trying to follow Jesus but it's not an expression of faith, not a real belief that God is real and he's changing you, then you could just become a churchy person. And those people are weird, but as an expression of faith. As knowing that your God is real and He's changing you and He's He's alive and He's with you always, and that as you follow Him, He changes you from the inside out. That that is powerful. It's powerful. See, this is our test. This is that we, we, we look inside ourselves and say, Am I in the kingdom? Am I even saved by God's grace through faith? And Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Right? As we look out, I don't look at the people and say, did you vote the way that I think you should vote? Do you live the way I think you should live? Right? Do you have the right skin color? Do you vote the neighborhood? This is not what I look for. Do you believe that Jesus has saved you from your sins? This is something that's amazing because if you have that, God has accepted you. And He's accepted you, then I am no person to reject you. That's what the early church said. And that's what we're still saying today. Covenants matter. And they change us. They unite us through acceptance. And aren't you glad that the church in Jerusalem accepted the church in, uh, in Antioch? They said, listen, you're not second-rate Christians? I said, yeah, you're, you're part of this. The next thing we recognize is the church unites with encouragement. It's not enough just to say, I believe that you're my brother or sister in Christ. My actions have got to demonstrate love, don't they? First thing that the church does when, when you have uh, the, the, uh, the faith comes in there is the Their first act was an act of encouragement. Verse 19, it says this. It says, Now those who have been scattered by the persecution broke out out when uh, Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. That's 300 miles north, by the way. That's a long way, especially if you don't have a jet plane. 300 miles north. This is spreading the word amongst the Jews because the Jewish Christians thought we're only going to spread the faith amongst Jewish believers. But some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. All of a sudden, now they're opening the door of the gospel to everybody. right? This wasn't even Peter. Peter had done it and validated it, but the other Christians were now doing this as well. And what does the church respond? It says uh, that that they went up there, it says, uh, when news reached the church in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw that the grace of God, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Church in Jerusalem want to make sure this is actually a work of God. They sent him up there, but not as a point of saying, wait a second, you Gentiles, you really don't know. Barnabas went up there in his name and means son of encouragement, right? His first thing, look, and he says, yep, Holy Spirit's here. Awesome. Well done. We're in this together. We're part of the same thing. The church in Jerusalem had the ability to play the spiritual snob, didn't they? I mean, they had the prophets. Jesus is a Jew, by the way, right? Jewish Messiah, all of that kind of stuff. They could have said, well, yeah, you stinky Gentiles. God may have accepted you, but we're better. And so let Barnabas here just teach you how to do everything. Right Now, here, then didn't do that. Barnabas said, whoa, Holy Spirit is in you. Do it, right? He was encouraging them onto faithfulness. And then the church sent Paul. Paul, because he knew the Old Testament. He knew all the stuff. He knew who God really was. The Gentiles had no depth. They had no idea who God was. And so they sent Paul there, not to make sure that they become Jewish, but so that they could understand, this is the God who you follow. This is what it means to have a Messiah. This is the way that God has taught us to live. The church sent encouragement. We also find that the church that goes the other way, the New Covenant united the church not just through encouragement, but also with actual support. See, after this, we read that uh, the church in Jerusalem, they went through hardship. There was a famine. There was an economic downturn, as well as there was some persecution. And those Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were now in trouble. They were struggling. And the Gentiles were kind of outside of the persecution, and they were outside of the realm of the, the the economic downturn. They had the ability to, and so if they were just their own selves, if they were separate, they could have kept their money all to themselves and been super happy and they could have been the new powerhouse. But that's not how they did it. The Antioch church, these Gentile Christians, they said, wait, our brothers and sisters, our Jewish brothers and sisters in the faith are struggling. And we can't teach them deeper doctrine. That's what we were impoverished with. But they actually need food and clothes, right? They need rent. And so they took a a really big offering and they brought it down to the church so that the church in Jerusalem could survive and thrive. You see, the kingdom of God is not just about lip service. We're in the kingdom of God, we support one another, don't we? That we say that what really unites us is so much more than what we used to allow to divide us. We have a new definition. The evidence of the New Testament is that it unites the church to begin with. And so we have to begin to honor that. So how do we how do we apply that into our own life? This is important. This is important for us too. I think their application needs to be is that the covenant matters. We are not to be, uh, we, we are not in a time or in a covenant that is separation for preparation. That is not what we are about. Churches get derailed when it's all about, hey, let's keep ourselves holy. Let's keep ourselves separate from the world and those other Christians who will taint us. The wrong focus. Nothing wrong with great doctrine. We want to hold a good doctrine. But when we do that, when that our, becomes our focus is to keep ourselves, we, we, uh, we misunderstand the purpose of the covenant that we live in, don't we? That we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior. Right, This covenant really matters. Saved by God's grace but lose the faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? We've missed the purpose of the covenant. We have to stay true The why do we exist. We are a new covenant church. God has made a covenant with us. He's not going to break it. In the terms of this, it's about Jesus, not you or me, that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. right? And as we follow him, he transforms us from the inside out so we can become a blessing to others. That's the new covenant. How amazing is that? So if we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then we teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. This is how we operate, right? We make disciples that make disciples. This is how it works. New covenant. Covenants matter. We have to commit ourselves to God's plan for church, not ours. This is not a social warehouse. This is not a place to escape the crazy people of the world. This is a place to come together in God's love and grace and say, we have work to do. Let's encourage one another. Let's help one another. Let's support one another. Let's go and do it. Covenants matter. Also, we have to recognize that not just covenants matter that we have this, but the covenant is verified, and it has to be verified. In the early church, there were three things, right? And all three mattered, and all three were necessary, right? We start with doctrine. If it's not in alignment with God's Word, God didn't give us the authorization to do it, right? This new covenant comes from Him. We obey everything He commanded, not what I feel. We start with God's Word. It has to come from Scripture, but if we just stop there and say, well, God's Word said this. This is how I interpret, so this is how it always has to be applied. We become very dead, don't we, and cold? There's other things. and Plus, our, 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 we're not very convincing to the rest of the world that we actually have a new covenant with God. If we just point to the Bible and say, God has said this, and that's the only thing. Was it alive in your life? No. Have you experienced it? No. But this is what it says, and so that's what it has to be. It's important. You start there. The second thing, though, is it's got to be led by the Spirit. If God is not at work in you, then you're really calling him a liar because he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And he also told you geographically he'd be with you everywhere you go, to even to the ends of the earth, right? That this is a spiritual endeavor. God's Word, as you take the Word, you have to apply it. That's why prayer is so important. You have to learn how to listen to God. Peter was led by the Spirit to be able to talk to Cornelius. Right? He had to listen to God. There has to be a part in your life where you allow God to work in you and through you. Take his word and make it alive in your life. That's hugely important. If you're not seeing his word, the covenant looks weak. The third part was personal experience. This is called testimony. In Revelation, it says that they, the saints, have overcome the enemy. How? By the blood of the Lamb. That's the work of Jesus. Right? He, he, he saved us and the word of their testimony, that blood applied to their own life. Testimony. is God proved himself through you and in you? Is he proving himself? This is powerful. If we want to unify the church and we want to help the kingdom expand, we need to have a very good verification that the covenant is real in us, working through us. One, through the word of God, we have to know it. We have to know it. it's in there, that God's never going to tell us anything in contradiction we told us to do. The Holy Spirit's got to be working in you, directing you, empowering you, and your life has got to bear testimony to that. So you can say, it's not just that I know that Jesus saves abstractly, but Jesus saved me, and this is how, and this is how he continues to save me. I'll give you an example. I was saved at 16 in a big conference, right? I had already done the study. I'd worshiped at all these other faiths and other religions. I'd put God to the test in all these ways. I knew intellectually that Jesus was the Messiah. I just didn't want to follow him yet because I was mad at him. And then there was this, this, this pastor that was from the, the inner city named E.V. Hill. He was very large. He was very uh, loud. He was very black. And he was from the inner city. And he was very opposite of me in every single way. I grew up here in Essence Park, a small town, as a white boy, not in church. But the gospel united us, and he preached the word, and the Holy Spirit was in me saying, Aaron, you know you need to receive this. You need to go now. And it was in line with what the word of God said, and I received my Lord by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and it transformed me. And from that time, I've seen God not just change me and save me, he transforms me still. When I became a Christian, I had a really, one, I never cried. I had no emotions. You know that the Lord changed that. But the other thing is that I had an anger issue, man. I was mad. I had a temper. I had a bad temper. And I was afraid of my temper, and I couldn't change it on my own, and I hated that, and I couldn't conquer it. But God has He changed that in me. As I followed him, he changed that in me. Testimony. You cannot tell me my God's not real. He's not alive. Threefold testimony. The covenant has to be verified. The third thing I think we have to see here is, is that the new covenant needs to unite. It unites. If your walk with the Lord separates you from other if your walk with the Lord makes you feel like you're holier than thou, or that you can't hang out with these other kinds of Christians, or maybe I'm too unholy, so I can't be around other Christians. Whatever way it is, if your walk with the Lord is not drawing you into a heart to love other believers. You're walking wrong. That's the problem with Lone Ranger Christians who say, I'd rather be on a hiking trail and meet God than with the rest of you. That's not the covenant. The covenant unites, it brings us together. We are the body of Christ. We come together with all of our differences, with all the things the world says, I shouldn't like that person, but I will love them. It changes us. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. And he unites us by God's grace. By grace, not because people deserve it, not because I like them, not because they, they're the type of people that I would choose to be around, but because of grace, because God chose me. He unites. But it doesn't just unite other people, it unites us with a great God. Then my faith needs to begin by uniting me back to this holy, sovereign God, the one who had to be separated behind a veil for all those thousands of years because he was too perfect and I was too imperfect. I was too much in need of justice, and he's justice himself. And so, out of his mercy, he had to separate himself from me. And to recognize well, now that the price has been paid, the penalty is done, God was not, there is no more separation. That I have access to God, that I'm no longer separated by him by guilt or shame or anything else, that I am now united with my Lord. That is what the, te- that's what the, the covenant does. If you're not united back to God, how on earth? If you haven't received grace, how are you gonna show grace to other people? If you haven't been loved, how are you gonna love other people? So let the covenant unite you first back to the Lord and then to his body. That's how it works. How do you apply that? Some big, heavy things. Isn't some big picture stuff? But yet we know that as disciples of Jesus that it's all about following him, isn't it? It's about following him, actually. Taking steps, do you apply these in your life, that this covenant needs to matter in my life, it's got to be verified in my life, it's got to unite in my life, that this covenant has to be, how do I take steps to make that happen? Well, you have your connection card, I've been thinking about some ideas that might help you. Just small steps, right? Because following Jesus is a series of steps. You want to climb Long's Peak? You take a lot of little steps. No giant leap, just little steps. Some things I'm going to challenge you to do, small steps, to start applying this into our lives here. That we can become united and stay that way. First thing is maybe this week you commit to memorizing the Great Commission. Right, we're united in this. We're all the same mission. We're not of different missions. God doesn't have different Christians doing different things. We are this, making disciples. And how is he going to types of things? Be united. Memorize the word. Know what it is about. Also, maybe you want to do is read Acts eleven. See how the church has operated from the very beginning. A gospel that unites. Because this world is one that is very divided, isn't it? This is so different. It's counterintuitive to the way that the world works. So read how it works. See what it looks like. So you have an idea, a picture in your mind. So you know what it looks like when it's applied. Read Acts 11. How about this? Want to pray for the EMA churches? What are those? Those are the Evangelical Ministers Association or Alliance. Depends on however you want to say it. right? There's the churches in Estes Park that believe that, that Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is the Messiah, right? That people are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, in Him alone. Those are the churches that believe that the Bible is actually the inspired Word of God, that it is our standard for faith and practice. That we're not the only church in town that does that. Now, we disagree on some important but non essential points. They're still brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you pray for them, for their pastors and for their churches, that they would be true to God's word, that God's kingdom would grow in them and through them, that we would take this community away from the enemy? Can we love outside of our small circle? Can you pray? Or how about this? Maybe what you want to do is join the missions team. Our missions team is what we're about. We get together and we help facilitate care and encouragement to other places, ministries in the Estes Valley, to other churches in the Estes Valley, but also in the region and the world. And it's an important group. We get together, we pray for our missionaries, we get to know them, we write them back and all those types of things. We, we don't just send money, we actually send support. If you want to be part of that, part of that encouragement like the church's early church had done, then join us. We meet once a month for about an hour. You'll have a missionary that you will help you pair with and you can stay in touch with them. If you want to be part of that, you're in luck. You can let me know here. Make sure I have your name and all that. But also we're meeting today at 2 o'clock right here in this building. And you can come on back, have lunch, come back, join us. And it'll be awesome. Maybe you have a different commitment to make. Write that down. You have a prayer request. Write that down. Uh, we're going to take our offering here in just a second. as we do, take those connection cards, please. Put them in the basket along with your tithes and your gifts. And uh, let's, let's pray. Bring us to a close and have our, our worship team come and lead us out with some worship. Let's pray. Father God, you are good. We prayed. It. We, we sang about that earlier. We see it in your word. that Your kingdom, thankfully, is so much different than the kingdom of this world, which is so broken. You unite when this world divides. You, you make us brothers and sisters instead of enemies. You give us the capacity to care for those that are very different than us and even love our enemies. And we have the ability to even pray for those who persecute us. We see that the enemy is not other people, but the brokenness that divides. Keep us true to your word. May your spirit be alive in this church. May our testimony be powerful. As we unite with one another, we treat each other with grace and acceptance and, Father, in and through that, I pray that your kingdom would expand. Help us to carry this gospel to this community, to our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors and those around. Father, that we can teach the world who you are. Father, we could show the world who you are and that your kingdom would expand in us and through us for your glory. Please take these commitments that we made today, not as acts of legalism, but, Father, just next steps, following in discipleship. Use them to transform us and more, become more like your son in our character and our purpose. Father, I pray, too, that you would uh, take our tithes and our offerings, too. Use them, bless them, build your kingdom, we pray, in this valley and beyond, uh, because of your goodness and generosity. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.